could grab your copy of God's Word and turn to James chapter 5. James chapter 5, we'll be looking at verse 17 and verse 18. Before we begin, let me say a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for this time that you've allowed us to gather together to hear from you and your word. We thank you for, as we just sung, your son Jesus Christ. All we have is him. He is our life. In him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Our life is hid with him, with you. May we see more of Christ as we are empowered by your spirit to understand your word because we have the mind of Christ. Pray that this passage would help us to see and understand the power of prayer in our own lives and in the lives of those around us. And that we can pray because of what Christ has done for us. We thank you for this time. We pray these things in his name. Amen. James chapter 5, verse 17 to 18 reads, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the earth for three years and six months. Then he prayed again, and the sky poured down rain, and the earth produced its fruit. Titled this Message, the power of prayer, the power of prayer. The Christian life is a life of faith in Jesus Christ. It's a life that trusts and believes not in self, but in our Lord and Savior, because it's through what he has done and accomplished that we are saved, we are redeemed. It's a life that understands and knows who God is as our creator, as our sustainer, It's a life that is dependent upon God and given over in service and worship to Him. Our entire life belongs to Him. We are new creations. We have been born again. We have been regenerated from spiritual death to new life in Christ. In the exercise of His will, He brought us forth by the word of truth so that we would be a kind of first fruits among His creatures, true worshipers as we live and look forward to our eternal hope. James wants believers to live in light of that and to grow into Christian maturity. He wants us to demonstrate and display and prove that we possess a genuine saving faith. He wants believers to know that it's more than just head knowledge, and that knowledge alone does not save. James said in chapter 2, verse 9, 19, the demons also believe. They know that God is one. They know who God is. He makes it clear that heavenly wisdom from above instructs the mind, ignites the heart, and invites the will to obey. The Christian life is about knowing and living out the truth of God's word for God's glory. And his revealed will for us is given in his word. And so James provides command after command to help believers as a grace of God to know how to live out and obey the will of God for their lives. He calls us to know the truth of God's word and to live it out in everyday life in every and all circumstances wholeheartedly, single-mindedly devoted to Christ in worship. We are saved by faith alone, but the faith that saves will never be alone. 
James has consistently taught us that truth. Chapter 2, verse 26, faith without works is dead. It's useless. But a saving faith works. It bears fruit. It evidences itself in a life of worship, a pursuit of holiness, a disdain for sin and the things of this world. We have new desires, new passions, a love for God that was not there before. Our motivations are different. It's not for our glory, but it's for God's glory. We boast in him. One that loves the Lord and delights to obey his will because we have been changed and are continually changing and conforming more into the image of Christ. And so as we become more like Christ, our lives should look more like Christ, which means our worship and devotion and obedience should increase. Our hatred of sin should increase. Our love for righteousness should increase. Again, we have new desires, new affections, a renewed mind to think rightly and properly, to understand and comprehend the word of God. We no longer live for self and sin, but for the purpose for which we were chosen and called, which is to be holy unto God as he is holy. And James knows that as we go through life, there will be many difficulties and challenges that can discourage us, bring us down, and that can affect our worship of him and our responses to him. So he wants to, wants us to see more of God and to depend upon God more in all circumstances. He opened his letter talking about trials and temptations and prayer. James chapter 1 verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, ask God and he will give it to you. That's praying to God, drawing near to him, knowing that you're inadequate in yourself and you need his wisdom because he's the source of wisdom and that he's a good God and gives gifts to his children who ask him in faith. And so he brought that out in trials and temptations that we face. We will encounter them, but how we view them and how we respond to them is what matters. He opened his letter talking about trials, temptations, and prayer to help us see and recognize what God is doing and who God is. And he closes his letter as we're in the very end of James. Next week will be our last week studying this epistle. He closes his letter talking about suffering and persecution and prayer again so that we would see and recognize what God is doing and that we need to depend and trust in God. He not only wants to help believers grow into Christian maturity, but he also wants to encourage and comfort believers to keep pressing on and to remain steadfast and to actively and patiently endure through faithful and godly living. And the foundation of that is trusting and depending upon the Lord and knowing who the Lord is. Chapter 1, verse 17, every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above that teaches us something about God coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. If we have that perspective, if we have that right thinking, that will affect how we see trials in our lives. That will affect how we see and view persecution and suffering in our lives. God is good. And he's the giver of good and perfect gifts. And Romans 8, 28 and 29 says, He causes all things to work together for good to those who love him, to those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his Son. The good that he is working within his people by his word and by his spirit is conformity into the image of Christ. And in chapter 5, verses 13 through 16, which we looked at last week, in the midst of 
encountering suffering and persecution. James encourages and comforts these spiritually weakened believers and calls and commands them to pray. But not only just to pray, but to confess their sins. Why? Because through confession of sins and prayer, God works according to his will to sanctify us, to grow us, to strengthen his children by his grace, and his power is displayed. He will preserve us and we will persevere in their faith and we will be perfected or matured, brought to completion. This is his intention for us. This is his purpose, conforming into the image of Christ. And so we can thank God for everything that comes our way because everything is working unto that goal because it's for his glory that we become more like his son. We will be more like Christ. We see the importance and priority of prayer in the Christian life. That even prayer is a means that God uses to sanctify his children as we plead with our Father to grant our request, to make our request known to him, as we go to him, praying his will be done in our lives. And now James will continue to talk about prayer. And here the emphasis is on the power of prayer, as seen in the example of Elijah. Last week we saw the priority of prayer. This week we'll see the power of prayer. Why does James want us to pray? Why does James want us to pray? Because living faith is demonstrated in a life of prayer. Living faith is demonstrated in a life of prayer. If you don't need or if you don't depend upon God, you're not a Christian. You can't just depend upon God to save you and not depend upon him for everything else. Christ cannot be your savior without also being Lord over your life. Romans 12.12 says that a genuine love and faith is manifested in rejoicing in hope, persevering in tribulation, being devoted to prayer. Being devoted to prayer is a manifestation of genuine love and faith in Christ. Faith and prayer go together. Saving faith is a trusting a believing, a dependence that is demonstrated in a life of prayer. How else do you show your dependence upon the Lord? You pray. You cry out to Him. It's a life that recognizes the, pro- the power of prayer and what it can accomplish. After listening to the Sermon on the Mount by the greatest preacher and teacher, Jesus Christ, what did the disciples do? They didn't gather around and say, Lord, teach us how to preach. Because they saw the power of Jesus' words as he taught and proclaimed the scriptures. No, the disciples instead asked, Lord, teach us how to pray. Teach us how to pray. They understood that the Christian life is one that is dependent upon God's will at work. And so they wanted to learn to pray rightly. That is why James says in chapter 5, verse 16, the effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. There's great power and it works. The common objection that we hear or response to the sovereignty of God as it relates to salvation or evangelism or prayer is this. You may have heard it this. Why pray if everything is according to God's will anyways? Why pray if God is sovereign? Why pray if he is in complete and absolute control of everything? Why pray if we can't change God's will? Why pray? That's a question that comes from ignorance. 
and pride and a lack of understanding of who you are in light of who God is. It's a question that doesn't understand the believer's responsibility to obey the Lord as he sovereignly works. It's a question that doesn't understand that Christianity is about God and our relationship with him. To remove any human responsibility and relationship and to let go and let God is to demonstrate that you have not been born again and granted new life in Christ and are an adopted child of God. You do not understand that your will is to do his will. You're still living for self. And that the reason why we should pray is because God is sovereign. We pray because God is sovereign. He is all-knowing and all-powerful and is working out his perfect will. So a better question would be, why would you pray if God is not sovereign? If he's not in control, why pray? The reason that we pray is because God is sovereign. It demonstrates our trust and dependence and faith in him, that he will do what he wills and what he promises and purposes. The same is true when it comes to evangelism. If God is not sovereign, why evangelize? If people are saved by faith alone, through grace alone, and Christ alone, according to God's sovereign mercy in election and his spirit life-giving regeneration so that all don't go to hell for their sins, for the wages of sin is death, knowing that gives us greater motivation to evangelize, that he has called the people to himself and given them to his son, and his son has come down to die for them. That is why we evangelize. There will be people who will be saved. And it's because God is sovereign. But that comes through hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. And so we have a responsibility. Again, we see this dynamic of human responsibility and divine sovereignty. It's how we live a life of worship. We don't just sit back and hope that we'll be changed and everything will happen. That's not a life of worship. That's laziness. A life of worship is how we do the will of God, obedience to his word. It's how we are used by God to accomplish his will and to see him at work. That's the Christian life. And James wants these believers to demonstrate a living faith that trusts and depends upon God in prayer. If you deny the sovereignty of God or if you deny your responsibility to obey the Lord, you're, again, living for self. And that's why James says in chapter 1, verse 22, prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves or deceive themselves about their condition and standing before the Lord. We can also ask, why did Jesus, why did Jesus, the perfect sinless son of God and son of man, why did he pray? He prayed to demonstrate his dependence and submission to the will of his Father, and he obediently fulfilled the will of God. So the more you understand the sovereignty of God, the more you will understand the importance of prayer and the power of prayer. God knows the beginning. He knows the end. He knows everything in between. And prayer is asking God to accomplish his will revealed and unrevealed, and prayer is the means that he uses to allow us to worship him as he brings his will to pass in our lives. We pray because God commands and desires us to pray, 
And he sovereignly uses prayer as a means for us to see and participate and be able to rejoice in the outworking of his unchanging, sovereign, eternal plan. He does as he pleases, but he chooses to use prayer through the life of his people as a means to do just that, which is why we pray, your will be done. That should tell us something about prayer, that it's not God that needs the prayer, but that he uses prayer to involve us into his plan and into his will. Prayer is used to align our will and our hearts to his. It's used to conform us, and it's used to comfort us, and it's used to give us confidence that God knows all things, and he is sovereign over all things, and he is at work. The prayers of the righteous are effective and accomplished much because it is aligned with God's will and is prayed in faith for his will to be done. It has great power because it's a prayer that looks to and depends upon God to accomplish his will and his people get the joy, the joy of of playing a seemingly small but not insignificant part in that. We pray because God is sovereign. And in this passage, in these verses, James uses the example of Elijah so that we would be encouraged to pray, so that we would be encouraged to pray and participate in God's will whereby we'll be sanctified and find joy. Not participate in, again, not in changing God's plan or causing God to react or respond as if he wasn't sovereign or as if he didn't know all things, but participate in the sense of making his will our will as we trust and depend upon him and see his plan for our lives unfold. What is the recipe for powerful prayer? What should characterize our prayers? How are we to pray? First, we'll see that we should pray earnestly. We should pray earnestly, and that's clear from verse 17. James provides Elijah as an example of a man of prayer and of how he prayed. He says, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. The phrase nature like ours is a single word in Greek, homopathos. And why do I bring that up? because it will help us better understand the meaning here. You may expect the word to be homoousios, which means like substance, which is used to describe the Trinity, that God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit share one substance, one essence, one being, one nature. In other words, all three persons are God. So James is not highlighting here that we share the same nature with Elijah in that sense. He uses the word homopathos, which means one in emotion or one in passion. This refers to compassion or love or jealousy or anger or despair or or joy. This describes Elijah's experiences in life. James is focused on the passions of Elijah, that he has the same emotions that we have as he experienced things in his life according to the will of God. He responded with emotions. And why does James make this comparison? Why do we need to know that? Because it highlights the power of prayer and showing us the weaknesses that we all share and the powerful God that we can come to in prayer and who is the one who's at work. In other words, the power of Elijah's prayers are not in himself, but it is in the Lord. God's power was at work through his devotion and his dependence and his faithfulness. 
He served the Lord like all of us. He served the Lord from a position of weakness. From a position of weakness. He felt the temptations. He felt opposition from the world. He was even hunted by the government. He was prone to despair and fear. He was simply a righteous man who was determined to do the will of God and who prayed for the will of God to be done. And if you read the story of Elijah, he really posed no real danger to the governing authorities who were after him. He didn't have an army. He didn't have any weapons. He wasn't a military threat. But he was a very real threat because he had the ear of the Lord. He knew that his Lord listened to his prayers and that his Lord worked through his prayers. He had access to God. He had access to God through prayer. And a quick snapshot of his life includes his battle with Ahab and Jezebel and the slaying of the prophets of Baal, him fleeing and afraid for his life right after that. One moment he's trusting God, the the other moment he's doubting, scared for his life. We have him seeing sights beyond the experiences of other men, raising the dead, multiplying the widow's meal and oil, feasting in the wilderness at the hands of angels, foretelling both famine and the coming of rain, outrunning Ahab's chariot to Jezreel, learning the secrets of God's presence in the caves of Horeb, vanishing from the earth in a chariot of fire. His name was even connected with paving the way for the coming Messiah. Malachi 4, verses 5 and 6 says, Behold, I am going to send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and terrible day of the Lord. He will restore the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers so that I will not come and smite the land with a curse. In Luke chapter 1, verse 17, the birth of John the Baptist, a type of Elijah, is foretold and it said of him that it is he who will go as a forerunner before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children and the disobedient to the attitude of the righteous so as to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. In the account of the transfiguration, Elijah is named along with Moses as they are talking with Jesus. And so Elijah was very highly regarded by some, and they they were tempted to think that he was superhuman or he was more holy and, and used by God in a special way that God doesn't use in other people's lives. And that's why his prayers were so powerful. That's why his prayers were heard. And James reminds us that Elijah was a man with a nature like ours who experienced and shared the same weaknesses and emotions that we do. Our prayers, too, can be powerful and effective. And so what James draws our attention to is prayer. What is the most significant to James as he writes to believers who are in the midst of suffering persecution and who will encounter various trials as he thinks about Elijah and his life, what does he pick out? What does he draw out? What does he want us to learn? That Elijah was a man of prayer. But not only that, he wants to teach us something about God. To answer the question of why, why Elijah was a man of prayer. Back to the question, why pray? Why pray? God has communicated to us in his word but why does he want us to communicate with him? That part of his sovereign plan of redemption was to reconcile sinners to himself. 
those who were separated from him because of their sin. And in order for sinners to stand before a holy God justified, required a perfect sacrifice, substitutionary atonement that was accomplished through life, death, resurrection of the Son of God, Jesus Christ. Why? First Timothy 2.5, there is one God, one mediator also between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. Jesus is the only one who can stand in our place as our mediator. John 14.6, Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Jesus is the only way to be reconciled to God. And through repentance and faith in Christ, believers have access to a holy God because we have been covered with the righteousness of Christ and he has fully satisfied the wrath of God for our sins. We are fully forgiven and declared righteous and so we have a relationship with God. We have access to God and the privilege of prayer. Why has God, through the blood of his Son, made access to himself for his people to communicate with him through prayer? God is a God who communicates to reveal who he is. He has given us the revelation of his word and has authoritatively declared who he is and who we are and how we are to live and how we are to view life. But God doesn't just tell us what to do. God is a relational God who loves because he is love. He is a triune God, relationship. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Three persons, one in essence, inseparable, indivisible, in operation and perfections. First John 4, 8 says, God is love. And that perfect love is first and foremost manifested within the Godhead. It's who he is and how he acts. God is a God of love and he has demonstrated his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And we have been adopted as sons and daughters who are to worship him in love and in spirit and in truth and glorify him. And a way that we are able to do that is through prayer. A way that we're able to do that is through prayer. Talking to God, depending upon God, adoring God, confessing our sins to God, giving thanks to God, making our supplications and petitions known to God and trusting that his will be done. God has made a way for us to communicate with him because he wants us to communicate with him. He wants us to pray. He wants prayer to be the means for his people to participate in his plan and see the outworking of his will as he answers prayer and for us to draw near to him at all times. We have a relationship with the sovereign God of everything. And so we should draw near to him in every and all circumstances knowing who he is, so that we can ask in faith confidently and earnestly for his will to be done, just as Elijah did. It says in verse 17 that he prayed earnestly. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly or fervently that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the earth for three years and six months. Did Elijah tell God what to do? Did Elijah make God stop the rain? Or did Elijah pray knowing that God is in control and that it was part of God's will so that he could pray earnestly. When it says that he prayed earnestly, in Greek it reads, in prayer he prayed. In prayer he prayed. It indicates emphasis and intensity. And so it's translated as earnestly or fervently. He believed as he prayed that God's will would be done. This wasn't just lip service or empty words or doubtful praying. He prayed believing 
This reference to Elijah is recorded in 1 Kings 17 and 18. And we encourage you, if you have time this week, to go back and read those two chapters, 1 Kings chapter 17 and chapter 18. God had proclaimed through Elijah that a drought would afflict the land as a means of punishing Ahab and, and Israel for their idolatry. And James takes us behind the scenes of 1 Kings chapter 17 and 18. He understands that all of Elijah's actions were governed by God's word, including the destruction of the prophets of Baal in obedience to all the warnings and instructions about false prophets and idolatry given in the Pentateuch, in the law of God. And in reference to Elijah's prayer, 1 Kings chapter 17, verse, verse 1 says, Now Elijah the Tishbite, who was of the settlers of Gilead, said to Ahab, As the Lord, as the Lord, the God of Israel lives, before whom I stand, surely there shall be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. Elijah is known as a man of prayer who could stand before Yahweh because he has a relationship with him. And so he prayed earnestly for God's word to be done. Again, if you go back and read those two chapters, you'll notice the repetition of the phrase, the word of the Lord came to him. The word of the Lord came to him and the emphasis of the Lord's word being done. The word of the Lord came to him, he obeyed, and the word of the Lord was done. And that's why Elijah was so confident as he prayed earnestly. He was praying in faith that God's word and will would be done. Just as James reminded these believers of praying for the spiritual strengthening of those who are spiritually weak and the confidence that we can have in praying according to the will of God that they would be restored and they will be restored and the Lord will raise them up and spiritually strengthen them and mature them along the way, help them to persevere and endure patiently and actively. In First Kings chapter 18, verse 1, God reveals to Elijah that it was time for the drought to end. It says there, Now it happened after many days that the Lord, that the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year, saying, Go show yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain on the face of the earth. And so he earnestly prayed, as recorded in the end of First Kings chapter 18, in verse 42, where it says, Elijah went up to the top of Carmel, and he crouched down on the earth and put his face between his knees, posture of prayer, Verse 45 says, In a little while, the sky grew black with clouds and wind, and there was a heavy shower. This is what James says in chapter 5, verse 18. Then he prayed again, and the sky gave rain, and the earth produced its fruit. The Lord said it would not rain, and it didn't. And then God said that it was going to rain, and it did. And Elijah prayed according to the word of the Lord, and the Lord used him as a means through his prayers to accomplish his will. We can have confidence and pray earnestly as we pray for the word of the Lord, which is his revealed will to be done. This is the recipe for powerful prayer. This should characterize our prayers. This is how we should pray. This should encourage us to pray and to know and see the power of God at work as we pray. God used Elijah's prayer as the means through which his word was accomplished. Elijah didn't force or demand God to do something. Rather, Elijah prayed in accordance with God's word, trusting that God would keep his promises and stay true and faithful to his word. John 14, 14 and 15 says, If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Again, praying according to the word and will of God and a life of worship. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. 
what we learn here about prayer in the Christian life is that we are to be participants. We are to be participants in God's plan and not bystanders. And we should pray earnestly. And we should also pray, secondly, boldly. Not only should we pray earnestly, but we should also pray boldly. Notice in verse 18 that Elijah prayed that God would cause the sky to pour down rain upon the famished land and for the earth to produce fruit. If you think about it, that's not a small prayer. This is a big and bold prayer, asking God to demonstrate his sovereign power over nature and all creation. Elijah received word from the Lord, and he knew the will of God concerning the drought and rain, and so he not only prayed earnestly and fervently, but also boldly, knowing that what God says he will do, even if it seems too big. Nothing is too big for God. Steve Lawson has said, quote, God created the universe effortlessly, by the mere breath of his mouth. Nothing is hard for him. Jeremiah thirty-two twenty-seven says, Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is anything too difficult for me? Ephesians 3, verse 20, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works within us. Not our power that works within us, but the power, his power that works within us. God can bring someone from death to life. He can rescue you from the domain of darkness and transfer you to the kingdom of his beloved son. He can do great things. He can do unfathomable things. He can do undeserved things. And in his word, his will and promises for us are revealed. And so we can pray boldly for those things in the name of the Lord, in faith, believing that he will do them. He will accomplish his plan and his will. This means that our prayers are to go beyond. They're to go beyond just our small temporal requests. We are to pray for physical things and make our requests and plans known with the understanding of God's sovereignty and if the Lord wills and find joy as those are answered. But we are also to pray for spiritual things according to his word. We are also to pray spiritual things according to his word not just make requests for temporal things. We are to pray that his truth would have a greater and deeper impact on how we live and how we think. We are to pray that his spirit would illumine our minds to grasp the truth of his word. We are to pray that our love would increase for those we don't love. We are to pray that our faith would increase so that we would be able to stand firm no matter what comes our way. We are to pray that the grace and mercy of God in our lives would be so weighty that it compels us to be faithful to evangelize. We are to pray that those who are spiritually weak would be spiritually strengthened. We are to pray that we would not continue in sin so that grace may increase. We are to pray for the salvation of sinners who have been redeemed by Christ. We are to pray for the gospel to go to the ends of the earth. We are to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. We are to pray that we would rejoice always, that we would pray without ceasing, that in everything we would give thanks. We are to pray that we would abhor what is evil and cling to what is good, that we would not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good, that we would not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our minds. We are to pray earnestly, 
and boldly according to his revealed word and will. We're not a prophet like Elijah. We're not receiving direct revelation from the Lord. But we do have God's complete written revelation. Everything God wanted us to have and know about him. And so we can pray with purpose. We can pray with purpose. In other words, we can pray in accordance with his will and not ours. Notice that Elijah was praying in a sense against himself when he prayed for the rain to stop for three years and six months. And the consequence of that, that impacted his very own life as well. The rain would have benefited him because the produce of the earth would have benefited him. But he prayed that it would not rain. And it led to his life being at risk as the army was searching for him. But he trusted and depended upon God and his prayers, his prayers revealed that. His prayers revealed that. We must be in constant battle in our prayers to bring our submission under the authority of the will of God because he knows what is best for us. The more we pray, the more our lives will revolve around him. The more we pray, the more our lives will be, will revolve around him, which is why we need to know how to pray rightly and what should characterize our prayers. The less we pray, the more our lives will revolve around us and doing what is in our best interest. Power in prayer is understanding and knowing who God is as he has revealed himself in his word and knowing his will for us and believing and trusting in what he has said and for us to draw near to him in faithful, earnest, and bold prayer. Prayer is a means of ushering into place what God has already ordained. It's aligning ourselves and our will to his perfect will so that we're enabled to participate and see the power of God working in our lives. Believers can pray earnestly and boldly because Christ is our great high priest. And we can draw near with confidence to the throne of grace, Hebrews 4.16. We can draw near with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, Hebrews 10.22. We can hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promises faithful, Hebrews 10.23. The priority and power of prayer is because we are in Christ, who is our advocate with the Father, 1 John 2.1, and who always lives to make intercession for us, Hebrews 7.25, and who intercedes for the saints, according to the will of God, Romans 8.27. Like Elijah, who received God's word and knew God's will, we have God's revealed word and will, and we can confidently and boldly pray and participate in and experience the power of God working in our lives because of the power of God that is sovereignly at work in prayer. This is a comfort. This is a comfort and encouragement to believers. But we must pray And this is why God commands us to pray. And one of the reasons why Christ's blood was shed for us so that we can pray. It's for our comfort. It's for our encouragement. It's for us to have confidence in who God is and his sovereignty over our lives. Gives us assurance. It's for our good. And it's for his glory. The power of prayer to those who are faithful to live righteously before him has great power. As long as we know how to pray and and that we are to pray earnestly and boldly the word of God, the revealed will of God for us and not just make known our request for temporal 
physical things. How often do we pray for spiritual things? James has been emphasizing growth in Christian maturity. One of the greatest ways that his people, Christians, believers, those redeemed by the blood of Christ, one of the greatest ways that we are, that we grow and mature is as we seek the Lord because we have a relationship with him. We talk to him. We commune with him. We worship him as we come before him. We grow. We're more sanctified. You understand that we don't just come to God telling God who he is and we know that. We come to God telling God we know who you are and that you can transform us to become more like Christ. We know you can do all things according to your word and your will. Do that, God, in my life. Make me more like Christ. Grow my love for his word. Grow my faithfulness to serve you in a greater way so that you receive more glory. Help my boast only be in you. We have to pray these prayers because they're according to his word and his will for us. And we will grow. Last week, we, we talked about the priority, of, the priority of prayer and how it's so important for us to confess our sins in prayer and how that sanctifies and cleanses us from all unrighteousness. That sanctifies us. That makes us more pure. And it's all accomplished through the power of prayer, the power of prayer. And when we come before God, we must have this reverence for him. We don't just come before him as if he's another one of us, another being that's just like us that we can just casually and flippantly come before and pray words that we might not even fully believe. Earnestly means to pray until you pray. You believe it with your heart. And James is teaching us here how we can pray that way. It's because we have his word. And it's because we have his will. And because we know God's purpose and intention for his people, which is that we would be conformed into the image of Christ. And so we should pray that for ourselves. We should pray that for our brothers and sisters. We should pray that for our church. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that through the example and life of Elijah, we see a man of prayer, an example of how he prayed and was able to pray so earnestly and boldly and confidently. He received word from you and he prayed according to it. And we have received your perfect, complete written revelation, which reveals your perfect will for us. And so therefore, we can also pray earnestly and boldly and confidently, knowing that you're at work. Thank you that your son has died for us, that we have now been reconciled to you, that we have access to you anytime we want, and that you desire for us to communicate with you as your children and you as our Heavenly Father. And that's the way that we can come before you, not only to confess, not only to praise you, but to know that as we do, we are worshiping you. We are trusting and depending upon who you are and that you are sovereign over everything. We thank you for this time. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.